Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with fascinating people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Andrew Alexander, an award-winning journalist, former Washington bureau chief for Cox Newspapers, and former ombudsman for the Washington Post. And we're also talking with Connor Morris, associate editor of the Athens News in Athens, Ohio, and a journalist on the front lines of local news. We will be talking about the national decline in local news operations at the exact time more people are relying on local media for information during the COVID-19 pandemic. Andy, we're in a real tight situation here with people relying more and more on local news, but yet financial contingencies really battering local news. Can you sort of summarize that for us? Well, I think the best way to summarize it is it's the, it's the best of times and worst of times. I mean, you, you pointed out that uh, uh, audience interest in local news has never been greater because it's so indispensable. But, um, but most people get their uh, local news, at least in areas like Athens or whatever, they get it from uh, local newspapers and they are uh, suffering uh, very badly, and I, and I think it, there, there's sort of an irony here. It's it's kind of like the coronavirus. It it tends to hurt those already in frail health, and uh, community newspapers, especially, um, were in frail health even before the health crisis. So let's break this down a little bit, though. Uh, one of the reasons that the coronavirus pandemic is causing this problem with local news is the lack of advertising, correct? That is correct, yes. And and news organizations rely on both subscriptions and advertising, advertising more than subscriptions. So talk about that uh, dynamic. Well, it's it's like any business that, uh, that relies on advertising, it's, it's going to suffer. And of course, the business model for most community newspapers is still heavily reliant on advertising as opposed to subscriptions. There are very few community newspapers. And when I, when I say community newspapers, I'm talking about everything from the Athens News up to the Columbus Dispatch. There are very few that have made the big transition to, uh, to generating substantial amounts of revenue from digital subscriptions. Um, for instance, the New York Times just hit uh, about 5.2 million 
digital subscribers and they have a, uh, a revenue flow yearly of about 800 million. Well, that has not happened at the local levels, partly because they can't get scale. So they are heavily reliant on advertising. And when the economy tanks, um, few people advertise, obviously. And then you get in a situation where you have to start cutting staff or cutting the frequency of your print publication uh, because that, that costs a lot of money in terms of newsprint and distribution and ink and all that and hope that people will, uh, will migrate to your online presence, your digital presence. But even if, uh, if you look at the online sites, traffic is way, way up. Advertising digital ad dollars are way, way down across the board. In fact, I think nationally, digital outlets are suffering more than almost anyone else. And that's because of why? It's mainly because digital also uh, relies on advertising. And so uh, uh, digital advertising, uh, I saw a study the other day that said since the health crisis hit, it's down 45%. Um, interestingly, the next worst hit after that is local TV, which is down more than 30%, closely followed by radio, national TV. They're all down. So why are we focusing on print? Because as I mentioned earlier, print was in a frail condition even before this. Uh, and so they are, they are right on the edge. I think you're going to see a lot of newspapers uh, go under. And, and what size newspapers are going to go under? Give us, give us a breakdown of what that might look like. This would be my speculation, but, uh, but clearly uh, those in smaller communities that are hardest hit by uh, the economic downturn, they simply will not have the ad dollars to survive. Uh, so I would say you start with the weeklies, uh, then you get into the twice weeklies or maybe to the small town dailies, and then you move up to the, uh, the papers in metropolitan areas. They may survive, but they'll have to change. There may be more consolidation. There may be fewer days that they actually print a product. Um, the staffs may be smaller. Uh, every, everything will change, and, uh, and not much of it will be good. The Tampa Bay Times just recently said they're only going to print on Sundays and Wednesdays. Do you, do you see that as a trend? I do. And again, you're, when you deal with a print product, you're dealing with these legacy costs of uh, you know, expensive uh, printing presses and a distribution model that requires people to go around and actually deliver the printed product. That's all very, very costly. Um, now, you, you might wonder, well, won't people just uh, go to the digital site? Uh, are, are we really maybe accelerating something that was inevitable? Yes, in some ways we are. We are accelerating what was a trend anyhow. But here's the reality. Uh, digital ad dollars do not match print ad dollars. Print ad dollars, uh, the print is, is more lucrative as an advertising source. And so you'll just have a smaller model of digital ad dollars on which to, uh, to base your news operation. Now, the plus of that is, if you eventually go all digital, you don't have these big expensive printing presses and uh, newsprint costs, ink costs, distribution costs, and all that. But inevitably, it's, uh, it ends up as a smaller news operation. Let's turn now to Connor Morris. Connor, uh, you're on the front lines of this in the trenches as associate editor of 
the Athens News. For our broader audience, could you describe the Athens News first and uh, how it's changed over the last couple of years? Yeah, thanks, Tom. So uh, the Athens News is a uh, once-weekly uh, free community newspaper. Um, and, uh, and originally when I started about uh, six years ago, it was twice weekly. Um, and then at that time we had uh, two full-time reporters, an editor, uh, photographer, graphics editors, uh, you know, that were dedicated solely to us. And over that time, you know, uh, we've shrank down to that once a week model, um, lost that extra reporter. So it's just me and my editor now putting out uh, the content for that, that paper and, and online as well. Um, and so those have been some changes that are just the result as uh, Andy was talking about uh, the result of just the, the difficult uh, model where you're trying to make as much money as you can from print advertisements and, more and more people are seeing that they can just speak to their customers directly through social media or whatever other means. And so it's it's kind of difficult. We've been seeing that shrinking. Uh, over the last year, though, uh, we've kind of pivoted, changed up our strategies, some for sales, uh, had less turnover in our ad sales departments. And we've actually uh, been making a profit recently, um, most most months, basically, which is was great to see. Um, since the coronavirus happened, um, if it's right, if I pivot to that, um, sure. uh, we've still, our advertisements have mostly remained steady up until maybe a few weeks ago. Uh, we still had some special print products. So we had our best of Athens reader's choice, uh, contest, which still had a lot of local interest and a lot of folks had already been signed up for that anyway, in terms of advertisements, uh, both in the print and online. So, um, but we're we're expecting to see that uh, continue to decline, you know, uh, over over you know the the coming weeks because a lot of our local businesses have closed, um, and there are regular advertisers that are saying, you know, we can only do limited ad runs or or none. Um, they've had to lay off their staffs, you know, um, and then a lot of big events too. We have a very robust arts and and entertainment calendar. Uh, that people can advertise alongside it's free but uh, people can advertise alongside that and all of the events have been canceled obviously so that's another major revenue hit so uh, but we are still um, putting out a lot of great investigative breaking news content we're um, pushing out a lot of content online uh, ever, especially ever since we got cut down to once a week and um, we've seen a huge growth in our facebook page following and our twitter following uh, when I started here, we had like 8,000 followers on Facebook, and now we've got almost 19,000. So uh, we've seen, you know, uh, and, and lately, especially since the coronavirus too, uh, lots of online traction, definitely lots of shares and likes and comments. So are you saying that your audience is growing, changing? How would you describe your audience over this coronavirus period? Yeah. Uh, I believe that we, our audience has probably grown a decent amount. Uh, there are lots of folks who are stuck inside and there are also a lot of folks who, you know, were in Athens, but couldn't come back. And so they're looking for news updates about their hometown. Also a lot of OU alumni too, as well, curious about how OU is adapting. Um, so there, I'd say that we, we've grown somewhat. Um, we've been working hard to expand it over the years 
Um, and then there definitely is a lot of attention on our coronavirus related stories. So um, definitely quite a bit of focus online. And um, conversely, uh, obviously, we're having a hard t- harder time finding spots to put our print product now. So we've reduced our circulation a little bit uh, because there are Ohio University buildings that are closed, restaurants that are closed, other businesses where we usually drop them off that we've had to move them around and reduce that a bit. So, Talk about how your coverage has changed, Connor. I know that uh, you used to spend more time than you do now on uh, large investigative pieces about uh Ohio University, as well as local government and local officials. Now, with just a staff of two, that's impossible to do as much of. So how has your coverage shifted? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, So I always have, you know, some investigative things on the back burner and, um, you know, kind of whenever I have them ready to go, I'll put, you know, one in, in every other paper. So, you know, just more in depth anyway, not necessarily a 2000 word story with, you know, lots of public records and everything. Um, but a lot of my focus has had to shift just because there are so many different elements to the coronavirus. It's impacting, you know, the economy, people's health. Um, I'm checking in a lot more frequently with our local hospital systems and uh, healthcare providers. Um, and so the accountability journalism has kind of shifted in a, a bit of a new direction too. And um, that also includes private businesses as well too. So um, two brief examples from our last paper, maybe um, we did a story about uh, people's concerns with local rental property owners still showing those properties Um in one uh, case that went viral, uh, there, the the landlord actually went inside with with the tenant still being inside. Obviously, lots of concerns with the coronavirus there. Um, so we're kind of reacting to those kinds of news stories. Um, but then I did have a long term feature, uh, part one of a series in our last paper about indigent burials. So uh, burials for impoverished people. Um, Essentially, uh, as you folks know, uh, burials, funerals, those are very, very expensive nowadays. And uh, with the coronavirus, it's going to kill more people. And it's also affecting people's uh, jobs, uh, ability to make more make money uh, just in general. And so essentially, the focus of the story was about uh, something that I would have written about regardless of the coronavirus. Um, local governments have the responsibility to pay for uh, the burials of people who are within 150% of the poverty line. And local governments uh, do not advertise this at all. They have been keeping this kind of hidden away, uh, probably in order to save money. And uh, so, you know, in Athens County, there are maybe three or four that happen every year where, you know, these are actually paid for. uh, But, you know, there likely would be a lot more because Athens County is one of the poorest counties in Ohio. So that's another one where it's kind of, that's something that we would do anyway, but it had a new dimension with the coronavirus. So those are kind of two examples. Andy, at the same time we're hearing Connor talk about investigative work, we look up north to the Plain Dealer and their staff of all their premier investigative people have just been has just been decimated. Yeah, that's a very sad situation. You know, when I was a young reporter in uh, in Ohio, coming out of Ohio University. If I'm not mistaken, uh, at one point, the Plain Dealer had a staff 
uh, a newsroom staff of around 300. Uh, now, this that is a slightly, um, it's an interesting case in Cleveland because uh, the owners, uh, the Newhouse family or advanced community publications, um, they many years ago set up a non-union news site, uh, cleveland.com, and then they maintain the unionized uh, plain dealer. So there's a lot of speculation that this is a, a move to basically uh, force employees uh, to be devoted mainly to the non-union shop, uh, which incurs fewer costs. But regardless of that as sort of a, a side discussion, um, it's, uh, it's a difficult thing to watch a major American city like that um, have such a, a, a profound reduction in coverage, particularly accountability journalism, which the plane dealer has always been very good at. We, we look across the country and all you have to do is look at headlines. There was an article in the New York Times uh, on April 10th talking about media outlets uh, being ravaged by the pandemic, talking about 33,000 workers at news organizations being, furlo- being furloughed or having their, their pay reduced. Uh, this has to impact coverage, not just on the in- investigative side, but across the board. Sure. And, uh, you know, this takes us back to the importance of, of local journalism and what um, what people like Connor, who I, you know, I regard people like Connor as sort of heroic figures in, uh, in journalism. Um, the local newspapers um, play a special role in a community. Uh, there was a, a fascinating Duke University uh, exhaustive study last year that found that local newspapers significantly outperform local TV, local radio, local online only news sites in terms of news production, both the overall story output and also in terms of stories that are original. And that would include the types of accountability uh, stories we're talking about. So you have to ask yourself when you look at that figure you just cited in the New York Times of 33,000 people either being furloughed or having their pay reduced, that's a lot less reporting power. And what does that mean? Well, in a broad sense for a community, it means that the shared foundation of verified information that is sort of the basis of civic discussion that goes away. But in, in practical terms, it means uh, city council meetings don't get covered. School board meetings don't get covered. High school sports not covered in the same depth. Uh, that zoning decision to put a cell tower next to your house, that doesn't get the coverage. The feature story on the new preacher in town doesn't get covered. And that's before you get to holding public officials accountable for how your tax dollars are spent. So so there's a, there's a, a really profound impact um, in terms of our civic engagement, uh, when, when when you see the the uh, gutting of news operations, that even goes over to the ballot box, does it not? It does. Uh, there's been some really good research in recent years uh, showing that when when local newspapers go away or are become what are called phantom papers, which means that they they have virtually not, no news in them. You see uh, civic engagement declines. You see pe- fewer people vote. 
fewer people run for office. You see a higher percentage of incumbents elected. Uh, you see that government accountability declines. And, and there have even been some studies that suggest that in areas where local coverage has gone away, there's a direct correlation to increases in tax dollars being spent. In other words, there's not the oversight, there's not the, uh, the civic reaction when someone wants to spend money that the public rises up after reading it in the newspaper and says, no, we don't want our, our tax dollars spent that way. Connor, back in the trenches, what are the kinds of stories that you cannot cover now that you used to be able to cover? Yeah. Uh, and then going back to what you'd mentioned too, as well, I should just forgot to mention, yeah, we've had our hours at the, at the news and then the messenger our sister paper reduced to 30 per week, uh, just due to the coronavirus. I forgot to mention that. Um, but, uh, based on that, uh, and just some of the changes in our newsroom over the time with less support staff, um, I don't get to really delve into big data, heavy stories, as much anymore. Um, I don't really get a chance to work uh, hands-on with, you know, creating a graphic with somebody so that we can really present things in the most, uh, you know, powerful light, I suppose. Um, but uh, I'm still out there with uh, getting photos and doing interviews with folks. Um, I'm keeping my distance, you know, wearing a mask, of course, whenever I have to be in person. Um but yeah, I mean, the general idea is, uh, you know, with the reduction of staff size and then now with the reduction in hours, less time to do investigative reporting, um, less time to continue to, uh, I guess, uh, argue back and forth with attorneys about uh, whether or not I should get my public records, um, less time for uh, a variety of things, really. And even sometimes I have to, at the end of the day, once I reach that 30 hour limit, I have to say, you know, no, I can't really do these extra two or three stories. Maybe one of them I'll put up online. One or two will go in the next paper. You know, um, I, uh, I've always prided myself on still taking people's calls and um, messages on social media and emails, uh, even when I'm, you know, not working, because I feel like I just des- uh, people deserve to have somebody there to listen to them, you know, but uh, I've got that time to listen, but uh, not the time to do the stories. So, right. Looking at what can be done about this, uh, and I want to direct this to both of you, but uh, Andy, uh, the current stories that we're reading from Fortune and New York Times and, and all over the country, the Atlantic, are talking about a possible government bailout. Uh, talk to me about what that might look like and what's your reaction with that and the first amendment freedom of the fourth estate away from the rest of government yeah that's a really hot topic and uh, as you know historically uh, those in the media and those outside the media have always wanted to keep a complete separation for a free and independent press uh, that is not paid for by the government uh, now, there are other systems in other countries where there's heavy government subsidization of, uh, of news operations, particularly the BBC. And, uh, and in fact, there is some government money that goes um, to public broadcasting in the United States. I think uh, my own take on this is that 
in terms of any discussion of a direct bailout from the government, I just don't think that there is uh, that that's likely given the political climate in Congress. Um, I do think, however, there are ways that government can attack this on the margins. Uh, there may be some um, tax incentives that uh, are afforded to community journalism. You know, an, an idea I've had that uh, I actually talked with a congressman once about who was interested in this is that. Um, we, uh, we have a problem uh, employing people like Connor at the local level because uh, you don't get rich in those jobs. You're doing God's work, but you're not gonna get rich. But what would happen, for instance, if uh, Congress uh, decided that there could be student loan forgiveness for any journalism student that committed to five years in a local community? We have student loan forgiveness for doctors, for even for lawyers in some situations, so why not that? I think, um, there are bills that are before Congress now uh, that would give newspapers more of a bargaining uh, power, a collective bargaining authority to uh, argue with Google and Facebook, which currently take about 70% of all local ad dollars and often do not uh, give much of that back to the newspapers where they've taken their content. So there are all sorts of things like that being discussed. I think. Beyond government, though, you will see a lot of changes, um, uh, more collaboration among news organizations. Uh, and I'm not just talking about newspapers, but could be collaborations between uh, newspapers and local media outlets, public media, whatever. I think you'll see more of a growth of uh, nonprofit journalism outlets, which have been growing pretty robustly in, the, in recent years. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate its students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders who will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research. The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provide benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Connor, from your perspective, I know you're trying to keep your head above water uh, journalistically, but also business-wise, where might you be looking for support? Are you looking to government for support? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, I wouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth, so to speak, uh, if that were to happen. Uh, I, I like Andy's idea of the student loan forgiveness. Um, I think that that's great because 
Uh, I can just anecdotally say that, you know, uh, many of my friends who graduated from the journalism school at, at Ohio University uh, are not doing journalism now. Uh, they didn't, they just took jobs after they graduated and wherever they could and uh, just didn't go into journalism. Um, so that might be something to encourage it a bit more. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess currently the only real solutions are really just um, continued consolidation for, you know, regional newspapers. Um, possibly working, trying to extend all of branches to other media outlets in the area to try to figure out a way to continue to cover everything that needs to be covered. Um, I definitely do personally think that, you know, there should be some sort of bailout money for news, like uh, print newspapers and, you know, whatever other media organizations need it. But uh, as Andy mentioned, there are some innovative models. Um, one of them that comes to mind is Report for America, which, um, helps pay for part of the salary of a reporter at um, more than 150 newsrooms in America uh, for a year or two. And um, with that model, that's a nonprofit that's help. And then the newsroom itself will, will pay for the rest of the portion of that reporter's salary. Um, again, though, that does require some form of commitment from the newsrooms. Uh, the cool thing about that is uh, the focus area for those reporters is uh, on undercovered uh, topics. Uh, so things that wouldn't normally be getting a whole lot of attention on the front page necessarily. So I just read that uh, Zuckerberg is talking about Facebook giving $25 million to support local news. What do you think ethically about that? <laughs> um, well, I'm sort of like Connor. I wouldn't wouldn't uh, look a gift horse in the mouth, but I, I would I would be uh, asking a lot of questions about it. Um, you know, I don't know the particulars of it, uh, but let's let's talk about a couple things here. One is twenty five million dollars, even even if it's a hundred million dollars, um, it can help, but. When we're dealing with local newspapers, we're dealing with a business model problem. And I think whatever we, we do, we, we try, I sort of view this as a race against time. You know, local news outlets are trying to change as quickly as they can. The question is, will they go out of business before we find some business model or combination of business models that will allow them to be sustained? And so whatever Zuckerberg is doing uh, in the short term, if it keeps news organizations alive, I think that's helpful. Um, but longer term, we have a very fundamental question. And when we started this uh, discussion about talking about the importance of advertising as a model, um, that probably has to change. There has to, that's gonna be part of our future. It may not be the future. And just something to keep it, Keep in mind here, and I, I've just observed this as sort of a non-expert in this area of media. But um, you know, ten years ago, it was unthinkable that people would pay for information. But I think you're starting to see people more willing to pay for things like Netflix or um, or Amazon, and that I think will eventually come down to people more willing to pay for news. Here's an amazing statistic that came out from Pew Research a couple years ago. 71% of U.S. adults think that their local news outlets are doing well. So 71% of people in Athens think, well, the Athens News is doing well. Why is that? Studies show because they see it. They actually see the product. So they think, well, they must be in business. 
But then when they ask those same people, how many of you have actually paid for news in forms of a subscription? Only 14%. Now that is starting to change. There have been recent studies showing that younger people are more willing to pay for news. So I think that's promising and should be exploited. Andy, uh, while I've got you, uh, we've talked uh, about nonprofit kind of reporting. You uh, had, uh, in part, a hands-on experience in Rappahannock County, Virginia, of reviving a news product. Talk about that. Now, I know that's a very... uh, uh, a high-end uh, county in in Virginia with a lot of affluent people, but 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 is that a model that can be replicated? I think it's it's a model that can be replicated. It is not the solution, but it may be part of a solution. So here's how it worked: We have out in rural Virginia um, a, uh, a little county called Rappahannock. Uh, there are more cows than people here, but they have a struggling little weekly paper that's actually quite good but it's close to the line financially. So a number of us got together and started a nonprofit called Foothills Forum. And it's, it's unique in that we basically paid a fair amount of money to have the University of Virginia do a very deep survey of county residents as to what they felt were the pressing issues in the county. And then through contributions that we got to our nonprofit, we started hiring uh, really quality veteran journalists. And I'm happy to say some of them are from the E.W. Scripps School of Journalism who have relocated to this area. And we start producing the type of deep dive journalism that Connor says he struggles to do because he's just so tied up doing daily stuff. Um, And then through a legal agreement with the local paper, they run those stories. So it it has worked. It's not a bailout for the paper. It's helping the paper on the margins to produce the type of journalism that it couldn't possibly do because very similar to Connor's operation, the the weekly paper basically has a publisher and an editor, and that's it. That's the staff. Connor, are you looking at at nonprofit ways of either survival or expansion? Uh, so we did something uh, for the first time ever recently that uh, I've always wanted us to do. We have a contribution uh, link on our website now. And, uh, you know, obviously we need to be careful to say that we're not a nonprofit. You know, it's not necessarily a donation. It's a contribution. But uh, that is, I think, a step in the right direction. It's something that I kind of suggested to our uh, leadership a while back, um, kind of uh, as a tip jar, so to speak, uh, so people can contribute directly uh, if they read something that they really like and they want to keep supporting that kind of content put the the kind of link at the bottom. This one's a bit more general. It's just kind of a general link on our front page. Um, and it says, you know, contribute to support local journalism. There's a little pop-up that appears uh, when people go to the website on occasion too. Uh, so I think that that's a good model because there are one of the main problems that I run into when I'm talking to young folks and even people in, in the business community here in Athens is it's a small town. There's not a big budget from the local business owners. And so the really small guys, they can't really, um, you know, uh, pay for advertisement regularly. And, but they still want to support us because they see the good job we're doing. And then 
Similarly, when I'm talking to younger folks, uh, people who don't own their own businesses, they can't buy an ad in the paper. That's silly. Um, so I was always telling them, people would ask me, how can we help? And I was like, encourage people to buy an ad, but that's not really a good sustainable, you know, way of, of bringing those dollars to the paper. So this is a step in the right direction, I think. Uh, I think what we can do as well in the future, this is something that I'm just spitballing here. I've discussed it a tiny bit, but um, the idea of people paying for content that they want, so to speak. So um, maybe starting a kind of drive several times a year where we collect people's input on what kind of journalism they want to see and then say, okay, you want to see that? You got to donate. You know, we got to hit a certain target, you know, of a thousand dollars or two thousand or whatever it, and it may end up being. And then uh, hopefully the the newspaper will then, you know, the company will then allocate more resources to allow for, you know, that to happen, whether it be maybe we get a few more freelancers to do some of the more daily stuff. And then I'm able to go out and do an investigative story or two, uh, just depends, you know, and this is just kind of uh, an idea here. So nothing concrete yet. Circling back though, to the pandemic that we were in, uh, Connor, you've got to be facing, you know, the stark reality that there may come a point where your news organization doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you know, is that something that, that preys on your mind all the time? Yeah, it, it does. Um, you know, we're, we're such a small staff already that at this point, if they, you know, cause it's just myself and my editor that, you know, if anybody else, uh, is, has their position reduced or whatever, uh, then, you know, that, that's it. That's the paper. It's, it's done, you know? So it is something that I really worry about. Um, our sister paper, The Messenger, has also had staff reductions over the last few years and um, really worried about what the future may hold uh, if the coronavirus continues to have, you know, continuing and worsening impacts on our ad model. Um, there are a few other innovative solutions. We're starting to do more advertisements uh, on, on Facebook itself, actually, so paid ads, uh, sponsored posts. And then um, offering unique new packages for online advertising. So I am hopeful, but yes, you're absolutely right. It does some. It is something that uh, really worries me, and it worries me about the entire state of the country too, of local journalism uh, throughout the country. Because, as Andy mentioned, there are just so many benefits to having a local newspaper. So, Andy, you look at this on a national level. Uh, I just picked out some headlines here. The Atlantic, March 25th, the coronavirus is killing local news. Uh, the Hill on March 29th, local news outlets struggle to survive. New York Times, April 10th, news media outlets have been ravaged by the pandemic. Uh, those kinds of headlines certainly are not encouraging in what was already a, a dismal environment. How, how long do we have? You say there's a race against time. How long do we have? Well, I think the, the operative question there would be how long do we have for what? Uh, you know, so, so it could be how long do we have before all newspapers go out of business? Well, I don't think that that's going to happen immediately. But I think we are at a period where you're going to see sharp declines. I mean, we, if you look back over the last 15 years, um, the nation had, even before the health crisis, had lost about 2,100 newspapers. And that pace has been accelerating. And even before 
COVID-19 hit. McClatchy, which is the nation's second largest newspaper chain, had filed for bankruptcy. And then you had, um, in recent weeks, Gannett, which uh, through a merger now owns about 250 newspapers with lots in Ohio. It saw its stock price go from a 52-year high of $11 to $0.63. So you're now close to sort of delisting territory. So I think uh, the the question is what what happens? Well, I think you may see more consolidation uh, in the newspaper industry among these big chains. I think you, uh, as we discussed earlier, you'll probably see fewer uh, days where the print product is is provided. And then I think there will be a desperate attempt for collaboration on everything from, uh, hey, let's uh, get six organizations together and have a statehouse reporter, or let's coordinate on projects or things like that. There's just going to have to be a lot of sort of frantic um, innovation that goes on and hope that you get to a point where a new business model starts to emerge. Something Connor said about the, the idea of sort of uh, asking local people to um, to provide coverage. I would really uh, focus a lot on what's happening in nonprofit journalism. And aside from the example I gave where uh, in Rappahannock County, Virginia, uh, you have situations where local nonprofits are looking at the local newspaper and saying, gee, we don't we don't have any arts coverage anymore. And they, as an arts council, a nonprofit, get together and sponsor a reporter. That's the type of innovative thinking that I think can go on. There are all sorts of ethical questions about that. You have to guarantee that you're not uh, having somebody pay for someone to promote an agenda. But it can be done. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. But it's, it's going to be a very tough time for all media. And again, not just newspapers. Uh, a lot of these digital sites that... Uh, said they were going to be profitable this year, even big ones like BuzzFeed, they've already said, we're not going to be profitable. Well, that's not sustainable. Um, your revenues must uh, exceed your expenses. And that's what we're dealing with. Last question to you, Connor, is that with all of this bad news and dire circumstances, why do you keep doing what you do? As Andy says, why do you keep doing God's work uh, on, on a local level and in the trenches? Well, thank you for that, both of you. I appreciate it. Um, it's because I care. Uh, you know, I care about my community. I care about other people. Um, I really want to make sure that I'm looking out for others uh, in, in my reporting. Um and as you mentioned too, you know, I, there is a lot of negative, but there's also, uh, especially nowadays with the coronavirus, but there's also positives too. There's stories of people coming together uh, while, while staying distant, of course, um, uh, coming, kind of working together to help each other out, uh, making stories of people making masks, donating the masks that they already have to people. We've, we've reported on that quite a bit over the last few weeks. Um so there's opportunity to provide a little bit of levity and light for people to, uh, while still making sure that we've got their best interest at heart, uh, still making sure that they're all staying safe, uh, getting the information they need uh, about state uh, regulations and federal changes or with regard to, you know, what they should be doing. You know, questions as simple as uh, should they be wearing a mask when they go to a store? Um, you know, 
questions about hand washing, uh, social distancing. Um, these are things that are all really important uh, now more than ever to get that public health information out there. So um, I just see it as something that if I'm not doing it, nobody else is going to do it. And that's also why I still try to make as much time as I can for those investigative pieces. Because again, as Andy mentioned, uh, there's nobody else that's really looking out uh, for taxpayers, really, or for, like, to try to see to make sure that their elected officials are, uh, you know, uh, doing the right things, you know, they're operating ethically and responsibly. So that's kind of what I see as my mandate, you know, as a reporter and as a person. That's why I keep doing what I do. Um, and uh, I like writing and I like connecting with people, too, as well. So. Andy, it's time to have those conversations you were talking about right now. If we're in a race against time, uh, we can't put off uh, a discussion about nonprofit or supporting local news on a national basis, wherever you are, in whatever community, the time is now. Absolutely. I think every community that is uh, concerned about their local news People in that community, specifically business leaders, civic leaders, public officials, ought to be getting together and talking about solutions. Um, uh, there, there has to be a new model, but it's so critically important. Um, if, if you have what <clears throat> many people are now starting to see, the, the sharp increase in what are called news deserts, um, these are communities that have no local news of any kind, and, and there are more than 1,300 in America right now. That's a place you do not want to be if you care about your future of your community. Um, communities thrive and prosper uh, and, and move forward based on quality information that is the foundation for civic discussion. That's what this is all about. It's really a, a, a fundamental part of democracy. So it's very important. Gentlemen, I thank you so much for your time. And I hope that we can check back in either after the pandemic or later on in the pandemic, depending on the the time frame, because this is a critical issue that's not going to go away. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. It's always a pleasure talking to both of you. Today, we've been talking with veteran journalist Andy Alexander and Connor Morris, associate editor of the Athens News in Athens, Ohio. Our topic has been the national decline of local news entities at the exact time people are relying more heavily on local media. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Blueberry, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it to one of your podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.